We got us a Hercules. Yeah, would you please center me? I'd hate to be off center. I'd hate to be off kilter with the word of God. Amen. Good to see you all. The Saturday night crew. Ruth, how's that uh, knee, right? Knee, it's coming. She got a new knee back there. We got Julie with a new, new hip and uh, Ruth with a new knee. Anybody else have any new, you know, pieces of body working well? Yes. I got a renewed mind. Hallelujah. Did you get, catch that? I got a new mind. You all have renewed minds. Amen. Hallelujah. Good day today in the sunshine. And uh, anybody enjoy it today? Amen. Anybody not enjoy it? Okay, good. We can move on. I got to make sure that we got that all taken care of. Chris Blue probably did not enjoy it. The young man loves rain. What in the world? Okay, open your Bibles to guess what? Genesis. We are doing our Genesis series, and uh, we are plowing away. And uh, as uh, some of you know that we are not going to continue the Saturday night service through the summer. Uh, we're going to take a summer break there and uh, consider it again in the fall. But uh, So that means that we have two Sundays left, or Saturday nights after this, uh, for us to meet together. So um, just be marking that down on your calendar or whatever. So we got tonight, and then next week, and then the next week. So, um, But currently, we've only made it, I think we've been going how many weeks? A long time. I think since December, and I'm only on chapter 17. So um, <clears throat> apparently Genesis is going to be to be continued. We're not going to work too hard at finishing this, or I will overwhelm you. Or we'll have to take a whole day. But, uh, so let's go ahead and start here with Genesis 17. So open to Genesis 17. I don't believe we have projection tonight, so you're going to have to use your Bibles. Or turn on your Bibles with your cell phones, right? And your iPads and all that kind of thing. I, uh, you know, I've been using, I quite often use my phone here. Uh, but I uh, had Dwayne's Bible here the other day, and I thought, you know, this is kind of cool too. Using the paper, using the paper products. So, um, but anyway, uh, let's open up and let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, Lord God, I just ask you right now that you're going to just settle upon us here tonight, Lord. And I just ask you right now that you will open up uh, Genesis 17 to us, Lord, and, and cause it to live. Lord God, we do not want dead religion. We want life in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so to get started here tonight, I'm going to ask you a couple of questions, okay? So when you become a Christian, um, what is the most important change that happens? Your heart? 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 Heart. What's the most important thing that happens? Jesus comes in your heart, okay? So... So I'm hearing the answer that the most important thing that happens in, with Christianity and in your Christian life is that your heart is affected. So is that the only thing that's affected? What else is affected? Okay, your mind. What else? Your opinions. Your life, your actions change. Your habits change. So there's outward um, things that happen when you become a Christian as well. How many of you had some outward changes when you became a Christian? Things changed on the outside. Derek is laughing. So, like, how much changed on the outside when you became a Christian? All of it. Okay. <laughs> we won't go into much detail, but if you can picture all. 
That's pretty much it. So, so Christianity, when Christ comes into your life, when God gets a hold of you, two things, it sounds like there's two things that kind of change or, or happen. Some work is done in your heart, but some work done, is done on the outside as well. So I have to ask you, what is the most important thing between those two things, outward or inner, inward? Which one is more important? Inward. Okay, so without the inward, the outward doesn't change. But what if you have inward and no outward change? Is that possible? Okay. So this, what I'm talking to you about here tonight, what I just brought up, is a very... Um, Christianity and that kind of thing has quite a few points within it that actually cause tension. Okay, so like they teach us that um, the way up in leadership is to actually become a servant, not a leader. Well, a leader, but not a lording over leader, a servant leader. So there's these two different kind of, I'm a leader, but I'm a servant. I'm a, I'm a servant, but I'm a leader, but I'm a leader, but I'm a, you know, there's this, this kind of tension, okay? There's lots of tension points in Christianity. God says, I am one God, but I'm three creates tension. In fact, so much tension that they had to have a worldwide, at the time, church council to figure it all out. Is he one or is he three? Jesus was fully man and fully God. What? Tension. Very, very difficult to reconcile in our humanity, in our little tiny brains, these interesting dichotomies in Christianity. Wars have been fought over that last one, may I say. And people have lost their life over that. So the concept of Christianity being an inward work with outward manifestation is a very, very big controversy, okay? So, like, there were times in Christianity when it was all about the outward works. But the, in, you know, the, the pomp, the circumstance, the importantness, I'm the Pope, or I'm the this, or I'm the that, and it was very showy, and it was all on the outside. But the inside, there was corruption, and corruption began to spread throughout the church. So there was, there's been times in, in humanity has the hardest time walking the balance between outward and inward. This is a struggle. It always has been. There are times where, you know, people will have the heart change, but they refuse to change the outward. So are they Christians? Are they going to go to heaven? I'm messing with you right now. Because this is a huge contention even now. Even now, in good godly Christian churches, there's a really big move right now towards what we call the grace movement. Now, don't get me wrong. I love grace. For by grace are we saved through faith, that not which of ourselves. Right? 
We can't do anything to become saved other than to have faith and believe. And God does all the work. You've heard us preach that many, many times here. Amen? But yet at the very same time, Jesus says on the Sermon of the Mount, I have not come to abolish the law, but I have come to fulfill it. And unless your righteousness is greater than the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. So there's this push and this pull that God wants to own your heart. He wants to get down into the very center core of your being. He wants to sit at the very center of who you are. He does not want anything else on that throne, only him. And when he sits there on that throne, his influence is to become so pervasive in our lives that our outward Behavior cannot help but yield to his world and to who he is. That, that, that as God, you know, Jesus sits on the throne of your heart to do anything that is contrary to his character should make you squirm. Amen? But yet we're told not to judge each other from the outside. Because every single one of us are in the process of Jesus pressing himself outward into our outer behavior. Amen. How many are under the press right now? The king of Jesus sitting on the throne going, come on, baby. And I'm like, oh, you know. So this is, you know, we're all in this process. So when I look at you and you look at me and maybe I didn't do it quite right that time, I don't need your judgment. I need your help, you know, (laughs) cheering me on. Come on, girlfriend, you can do this. But... So we're going to get into Genesis 17, but I want you to be aware and in your mindset, I want you to think that Christianity, is it inward or is it outward? Inward, outward, it's both. It has to be both. But first, it's your heart. God wants to own your heart. And then he works on the other, okay? Now, the reason why I'm hammering this so hard is that we're about ready to take a turn in Genesis with the, um, the creation of the Jewish people through Abraham. And I want you to watch the progression because we all know, we all have the benefit of hindsight. We all know what happened. You know, we can read through the Bible and we know what happens with the Jewish people and, and with, with the whole concept of God wanting their inner heart Yet they became so focused on the outer behavior that God lost their heart. And right now, God's back in business of trying to get the Jewish people's hearts. Amen? Okay, so keep it in mind. Is it, is it inner work or outer behavior? It's both, right? Okay, so let's get started. So to do this, though, we gotta, we got to get a run and start. You know me and my run and starts. And I am going to do this, and I'm going to be done on time. Amen? Okay, let's go. So we have to start really in uh, Genesis 15. We didn't meet last week, right? So I have to remind you, we have to stir up your righteous minds by way of remembrance. Amen? That is a Bible uh, verse somewhere. Where is that? First Peter. Okay, see, I'm quoting the Bible. I didn't even know it. Well, I knew it, but I didn't know where. Okay, so uh, Genesis 15. Let's start right there. What we have is uh, the Lord appearing to Abram in a vision, and he just conquered all those kings. 
and uh, he came back the victor, this one guy with not very many people, you know, just wiped out five kings. It was a great day, wouldn't you say? And uh, he comes home with all the spoils, and uh, God says to him, appears to him in a vision, he says, do not be afraid, Abram, I am your shield and your very great reward. And Abram said, O sovereign Lord, and we know that we learned uh, the last time we were together that the word sovereign Lord is actually the name Adonai. Everybody say Adonai. Adonai. This is our, our third name of God that we've come across. The first name is Elohim. I have that written, I think, on your, your paper there, Elohim. And I know you're supposed to spit when you do Elohim, but I don't like to do that very well. So I'm just going to say it with a white, you know, Northwest girl, Elohim, okay? And uh, the, the God Elohim, him, whatever, is uh, the God of the universe, the creator of all things and sustainer of the universe. He's the one that hung the stars into space and spun the earth, started the rotation, and he stands forever holding that with the power of his word. Every star is dangled and not not moving. The, The earth continues in what it is. It's not held up by anything except for the power of the word. And that is the God Elohim that is doing that. He is the God of the creation. Then we learned, secondly, about Yahweh, Yahweh or Jehovah, Jehovah, however, whichever direction that you want to uh, interpret it. And that's the God of the promise, the God of now intersecting humanity. So whenever you see Elohim, which is God, G-O-D, in the, in the um, NIV translation, but when you see Lord God, Lord God, that's the word Jehovah or Yahweh, that's when he's starting to talk about intersecting with humanity. It's a very interesting interesting word. It says the God of creation now is a, the God of humanity. Then now we have the third name, Adonai. Adonai means absolute supreme master. God is your Adonai. He is your supreme master. He is the, the supreme owner. And when, when Abram called him sovereign Lord, he said, okay, listen, I, I give it up. I give it up. So in the NIV, and I believe it's in some of the other translations, whenever you see sovereign Lord, it's the name Adonai. And it's, there is a sovereign giving up of everything to his kingship and his lordship. And we find him uh, going on saying, um, uh, O sovereign Lord, what, this is verse, uh, what are we at, verse 2. What can, I, can you give me since I am, remain childless? The one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus. Abram's wife, Sarah, Sarai at the time, had not had a baby. They had been promised, he's, he's supposed to become the father of many nations, but he hasn't had one kid yet. And he's getting old. Remember, we talked so many times about in these previous chapters how God would just like show up and say, hey, listen, buddy, old pal, I'm going to make you an amazing, mighty man of God. You're going to be a father of many nations. You're going to own all the land. You are going to be blessed and all the nations of the world are going to be blessed. Can you imagine? And then he goes away and here's, here's Abram standing there in his sandals, in his tunic. What was that? You know? He wakes up the next morning and he doesn't have a kid still, you know, and he's still traipsing around in his tent. We talked a lot about the promises of God come and they intersect your life with mind-blowing thoughts. That's because he loves to do that. He loves to call the things that are not as though they are. He loves to come into Derek's life that was messed up with 
can I say alcohol and messed up? And he came in and he said, no, you're the righteous son of God. I'm sure that felt kind of funny because it didn't make a lot of sense, but that's what God does. Amen. So once again, he says, um, he says, nope, you're going to, uh, the, uh, the, this man will not be your heir, but a son is coming from your own body. It will be your heir. He took him outside and said, look up at the heavens, count the stars. And if indeed you can count them, so shall your offspring be another blow away statement. Yeah, right. I have no kid. I have no child. Verse 6, Abram believed the Lord and he credited to him his righteousness. Now, I want you to see some heart shift right there. Heart shift. Up until this point, he obeyed whatever God said, but it never said he believed. He just obeyed. At this moment, heart shift. Now, God's got a hold of his heart. Believing is a thing inside of your heart that goes, okay, I'm going to trust. I'm going I'm I'm to buy in. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sink my teeth into this. Everything in life requires faith. Anything and everything that's worth anything requires faith. Is there a God? Oh, I, don't, I can't prove it. I have to jump in faith. Amen? So Abram believed the Lord and he credited to him his righteousness. And the verse goes on and the, the chapter goes on. And, and it's an incredible 24 hours that Abram spends with God. God creates a, 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 he said, okay, listen, go, go get me all these animals and we're going to cut a covenant. So he gets all the animals. He cuts the, the animals. If you don't understand all this, get the CD from, uh, or go online and watch it. Cause I go into great detail about this, but he cuts those animals apart, lays them side by side. You know, the parts, two parts apart. God said, it says right here that God put a deep sleep over Abram. He went into a deep sleep, a very thick darkness came over him. And then God passed through those pieces and he set up a covenant. Now, covenant is something that that has happened over millennia. We know covenant covenant as far as marriage is concerned, but they would go into covenant with clans and tribes to promise to help each other and to walk together and to stand by each other. Well, God entered into a covenant with a human being. It was a mind-blowing moment. The animal pieces are laid apart. And the reason they do that is, is as they would, as human to human, they would walk through the parts and they'd say, so shall, as this animal is dead and cut in half, so shall I be if I go against your covenant with you, this covenant with you. May it go, be as unto me as it is to these animals if I break our promise. Do we understand what covenant promise is? We don't get it. We're covenant breakers. But I want you to see that God is not a covenant breaker. He passed through those pieces and he says, I covenant with you. I promise. I am for you. I am with you. I will do everything I can for you. God covenanted with you. And he is not a covenant breaker. You know, sometimes we don't understand. We don't get covenant. And if life starts going kind of sideways on us and something starts going upside down, we look at God and go, where are you, God? We think God left us. We think that he broke his promise or whatever. No, God does not break his promise. He is still there. And he will still 
fulfill his word. Amen? Covenant. God cut a covenant. An amazing 24 hours. Then the next chapter starts off with, Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, and she had an Egyptian maidservant named Hagar. So she said to Abram, The Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my maidservant. Perhaps I could build a family through her. So after this incredible time, no, you don't understand. You're going to have a baby with your own body. With, you know, it's going, to be, it's going to work. God just like in his life for 24 hours. And it doesn't say next morning, but it shows that it's very soon after that. Sarai comes to him. Now, women, we have to be very, very careful. Every single one of us has to be careful that a lot of times the word of the Lord will come to maybe one of us in, in the spousal relationship. It's really important that the other one not contradict the word of the Lord. very, very important. So one day, God came to Duane and said, start a church. He had the word. I did not. So he came home and like, we're going to do this. I'm like, you're going to, what? Why? I'm not going to do it. You know, (laughs) you can, I'm not. (laughs) You know, it was really difficult. And, you know, eventually I went along with him. But whenever it would get tough, I'd look at him and go, what? you know, this is your baby. This is not mine. I'm going to go over here and cook or something. You know, you take care of the church. You know, it was very, very hard. And there were times where I tempted him to walk away from his word. Sarai is doing this right now to Abram. It's very, 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 very important that if, if if, if our husbands have the word of the Lord, we better honor that and be careful or vice versa. Amen? So Sarai comes, and uh, he goes ahead with the plan. You know, palm to forehead, what was he thinking? Um, after this whole entire 24 hours of incredible encounter with God. So uh, how many of you will just like say hallelujah that even the father of faith struggles at times? He struggled. And he didn't do what he was supposed to do. So everybody say hallelujah, amen, there's hope for me yet. Okay, so I'm trying to get up to where we're at. Um, Hagar um, does her thing. Read the chapter. You'll you'll enjoy it. Uh, So after uh, verse 15 of chapter 16, so Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram gave him the name Ishmael to the son she had born. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore him Ishmael. Okay, so now we're at chapter 17. We're at where we're, we're supposed to be, right? We're right there. Ready? Chapter 17, verse 1. When Abram was 99, okay, so do the math. How many years later? 13 years later. So we jump immediately from he's 86 and has a baby, Ishmael. Now all of a sudden the next sentence says he's 99. 13 years, bam. How many of you guys know how fast 13 years goes? Just like that. Goes about that fast. Uh, But... Then it says, uh, he was 99 years, the Lord appeared to him and said, so let's stop right there. It is apparent at this point that Abram did not have a vis- another visitation from the Lord for 13 years. He went 13 years in silence. 13 years. 
So he had this incredible 24-hour experience with, with God. Shortly thereafter, his wife comes in and says, you know, it just ain't working. We got to help God along here. We got we to gotta work something out here. Why don't we just do this and this will help God along? Abram says yes, completely contradicting the 24-hour incredible encounter that he had with God. And now he gets 13 years of silence. Abram... Though he is called the father of faith, he's also the father of trials and testings. And that was about two or three sermons ago. So if you're going through trials and, you know, troubles and tribulations, get that one because it was a really good one. Amen? So here he is. He's 99. He's been told he's going to have sons. and, And this huge, now he has one kid from not the right mom. The Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me blameless. How would you like to have God show up in front of you and say, I am God Almighty. Walk blameless before me. I would like that. I would like that. God Almighty. We have our uh, number, our fourth name of God. First, we had Elohim. We had Jehovah. In uh, the chapter 16, we have uh, Hagar, when she is running away from Sarai, and she's got her son, and she's going to die out in the, the desert, and she, she start cry, start, uh, cries out, God comes to her, and he, she calls God at that point El Roy, El Roy, E-L-R-O-I, which means you are the God that sees. You, you are the God that sees me everywhere. No matter where I find myself, you see me. Now we have a new name for God. I am God Almighty. That name right there is El Shaddai. Anybody ever heard of El Shaddai? El Shaddai means uh, absolutely the most, um, let's see, where is it? Because I don't want to mess it up. El Shaddai, um, provider, absolute, complete provision. The mindset that you need to have when you see the word God Almighty or El Shaddai is a nursing mother. Everything that baby needs comes out of that breast. Everything. Everything you need comes from God Almighty, El Shaddai. Everything you need. When you have a need and you're praying to the Heavenly Father, call him El Shaddai, for you are my El Shaddai. You are, provision, you are provision to me. You provide everything I need. As a suckling babe would, would uh, go to nurse and receive all the nourishment it would ever need to be able to grow, that is God to you. So right now, if there's a need in your life, cry out to El Shaddai. I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. When There's one other guy at this point that uh, has a blameless life. Who remembers who he was? go. Noah. Remember Noah? Flip over to Genesis 5 or 6 verse 9. This is the count of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked with God. Remember that? Blameless. Blameless. The word blameless. Now God's looking at at Abram after a 13-year silence where he knows that he went against what God says. God shows up. He says, I am El Shaddai. I have everything you need. Don't try to do it on your own. Don't think up your own 
you know, solutions to your problems, but instead I am El Shaddai. I am the answer. I am the, the, the provider for all that you need. And then he calls out to him and he says, walk before me and be blameless. That word blameless. Now I want you to start hearing something. I want you to, this is the first, you know, God's starting to call now on the outer walk of Abram, not just his heart. That word blameless is not a word that means perfect. It means sincere. So God's not looking at him, calling him to do something that is perfectly incapable of being, which is perfect. But he does call on him and says, do it with all of your might. Try to walk as very best as you possibly can. And that's what God's asking him to do. That's what God asks you to do. He's not asking for you to be perfect. He's asking you to be what this word is, blameless, which means very sincere with all of your might, all of your try. Because up until this point, he has not had a humanity that's given it all its, its, its biggest college try. He's had humanity that's fallen to, to, to all sorts of sin and temptation. And any time anything walks by, they're quick to turn and they're quick to do, you know, all this kind of thing. God says, no, give me your biggest, hardest try. Has anybody given it the biggest, hardest try? Hallelujah. I give it my biggest, hardest try every day. But I can't tell you my every day is perfect. But I'll tell you, I try. Amen? That's what God asks us to do. Walk blameless. Uh, walk before me and be blameless. I will confirm my covenant between you and me and will greatly increase your numbers. Abram fell face down. Now, this face-down thing is a prostrate position that a lot of the Eastern religions, even to this day, use. It is a face in the dirt. It is, it is the most humiliating position to be in before another. There is no dignity in this position Abram knew, and he has learned through all of his trials and all of his walking and all of his failing and all of his getting back up, that this El Shaddai, this God Almighty who comes to him and says, I want to make this thing happen, and I'm going to make this thing happen, and I'm the provision, his reaction was immediately face down in the dirt. No pride, no arrogance. No ability to do it in un- of himself. He fell prostrate. It's a very painful position. Have you ever laid with your face on the ground? Not to the side, just like bam. It's a very, very painful place to be in. It is the most humble place to be in. I don't do it very often. Probably not often enough before our God. He fell face down and God said to him, as for me, in other words, as far as I'm concerned, here's my part. I'm going to do everything on my part. As for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. Man, what is this many nations thing that he keeps pounding? You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham. He puts the ch in it, the God, the actual name of God. He inserts into the middle of Abram's name. 
And prior to, the word Abram means high father or great father. You put in the middle of it, you put God, actually God's name in the middle of his name. It now, begin, it now means father of high exalted father of many. God changed his name. Now back in these times, your name meant who you are. You know, when you're called Johnson, it used to be that had a meaning. You were the son of John. Now it's like Johnson, Robertson. I was a Robertson. I remember the day I figured that out. I was like, man, somebody was a Robert, a son of Robert. I wonder who that guy was, you know? <laughs> Let's go back and meet him. No, back in this day, names had a meaning. And when you said your name, you were declaring your own purpose. So everywhere he went, he'd say, hello, my name is Abram. And everybody would go, okay, you are an exalted father. I know that of you. Now he goes around and he shakes, you know, what's your name? My name is Abraham, the father of many nations. Okay, let me see him. How many kids you got? I got one. And it ain't the right one. So now his name is a prophetic statement on a constant basis when he says it over himself and to everybody. And back in these days, back in these days, word gets around when somebody's name is changed. This is a big deal. This is a big deal when you change your name. And word got out. Man, it must have been hard sometimes. Yeah, my name's Abraham. Abraham. Many, many. Many nations coming out of me. How many of you guys ever feel weird just like speaking statements of faith? Like, I'm blessed. I'm <coughs> it's really hard to get out of my mouth because I'm not. Look at my life. But remember, God loves to call that which is not as though it is. And he never stops and he never stops and he never stumbles and he never stutters. He says it and says it and says it. He, be, he, is, a, he is a God of faith. And he will change things. So he gets this new name. As for me, you're, you're no longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you, and kings will come from you. Now, in all honesty, this came to pass, but it did not come to pass in his lifetime. Remember, we talked about that last time. This promise was so big that his little, tiny, short human life was not long enough to see it completely incubate. So he died with this incredible promise spoken over his life, but his promise was bigger than his life span could even fulfill. And so he spent the rest of his life calling himself something that he never got to see, but he was faithful to it. And through the generations that carried that same promise, it came to pass. I am here to say, like I said a couple weeks ago, you have huge promises over you. You might not never see it to come to pass, but I will beg of you, do not throw that promise away just because you have not seen it. But blessed are those who, though they had were, were given that promise, that they did not give up on that promise just because they didn't see it come to pass. No, because God's planted inside of you something far bigger than your lifespan can ever produce. Nurse that thing. Give it life. 
pass it on to the next generation so that it can come to pass. In reality, out of Abram, or Abraham now, came two major races, the Jewish race and the Arabs. Ishmael gave birth to the Arabs. The whole Arab nations came out of Ishmael. Nations came truly from him. Right now, if you look on a a map of the Middle East, there's Syria, there's Iraq, Iran, um, what's uh, Turkey, all of that, that whole area, those are all Ishmaelites. Those are all the sons of Abraham. They are the sons of Abraham. And they claim Abraham as their father. It's very interesting. I'm going to give you some, some likeness here in just a minute. Let me, let's plow, plow through here, though. And kings will come from you. Many kings in the physical realm came from him, but also coming out of the Jewish line, out of the, the seed of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and then eventually Jesus, and then eventually you. And the Bible says very plainly and very clearly that you, as a Christian, are kings and priests. Kings came from him. Oh, yes, kings came from him. You're sitting right here. You're made to, made to reign and rule. Verse 7, I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. God was not after one man. He was after a lineage. He was after a family. He was after a perpetual people. The whole land of Canaan where you are now an alien, I will give you as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you, and I will be their God. Then God said to Abraham, as for you, as for you. Now there's a shift. Before it was as for me. This is what I'm going to do for you. I'm going to bless you. You are going to be amazing and powerful and so much good is going to come out of you, right? Now as for you. All of a sudden now it shifts. See that? As for you, you must keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you, for, uh, for the generations to come. This is my covenant with you and your descendants after you, the covenant you are to keep. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You are to ungo, undergo circumcision, and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and you. It is the token, the outward expression of what I've done in your heart and in your life. Outward expression inner covenant, inner promises, outward expression. It will be the sign of the covenant between you and me. For the generations to come, every male among you who is eight days old must be circumcised, including those born in your household or bought with money from a foreigner. Those who are not your offspring, whether born in your household or bought with money, they must be circumcised. My covenant in your flesh is to be an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who has not been circumcised in the flesh will be cut off from his people, and he has broken my covenant. Okay, let's take a break right there. Circumcision, weird. Anybody agree? Kind of weird. Why? Why did he pick that? You know, I mean, how about let's, you know, like, pierce the nose or something like that. And then it's very obvious to everyone that I am a son of Abraham. I am a covenant-keeping, God-keeping. No, he did not pick something, you know, obvious. It's hidden. 
Why circumcision? Many reasons. It speaks of many, many things. So let me just throw a few out. That circumcision cut away the flesh. It has a very colorful expression there of cutting away the flesh. Flesh that is not good, that is not needed, that's not useful, and it's a cutting away. And you're going to find in the New Testament that that circumcision now does not apply to uh, a male reproductive organ, but now it applies to every heart, that every heart must become circumcised, that we must cut away the flesh of our heart. It was a sign of cleanliness. It was a sign of goodness. But even more than that, I will say to you even now, this shows how very vital sexual purity is to God. It was a constant reminder, I am different and I am covenanted with the mighty God who's called me to walk blameless. All throughout history, all throughout history, the Jewish people and the Christian people have stand and stood for sexual purity in the middle of pagan evil. Christianity has always stood as well as the Jewish people has always stood for sexual purity. It's been a huge dividing factor between Christianity and Jewish and the Jewish people and the rest of society. Back in this day, terrible sexual um, promiscuity. In Roman times, when Jesus came in the early church, there's many, many writings by the church fathers that would, that would say, don't you see how different we are? We care about our marriages. We care about our families. We care about our sexual relationships. We're not just having sex with everyone. And this is part of it. This, this circumcision shows that. It's a, it's a mark on their very purity. It's a mark on the very deepest part of us that, that can be hidden. Our hearts are hidden. We can't always read each other's hearts. I don't always know if someone is circumcised. I don't know what's going on in their heart. God does. And this act, this action was so vital to God. This is what you will do. You will do one of the most painful things on the planet for me. The depth of understanding of this whole situation is so broad, I can't finish it in in the next 10 minutes or whatever, but it is a very important thing. You're going to hear about circumcision all throughout the Bible. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I'm like, okay, what is the deal? <laughs> and one of these days we'll get even deeper into it. But, but this, is, this is where it got set up right here. I want you to see that um, a couple of things I want to bring out. Um, every male among you will be circumcised. You will undergo circumcision, and it will be a sign of the covenant between you and me for generations to come. Every male who is eight, years, eight days old will be circumcised. In the Jewish uh, realm, every kid is circumcised at eight days. Eight days is when that little infant has hit a marker point within their physical bodies to be strong enough to be able to do it, yet they are still not aware enough to understand the pain. 
It's a very significant little, little time frame. Those, including those who were born in your household, are bought with money from a foreigner. It's very, very interesting. I always thought that was kind of interesting. How would you like to say, you know, Abram, Abram, Abraham, now he comes in the door and goes, okay, listen, everybody, my name now is Abraham, and we're going to have some fun today. We're going to all, you know, this is what God says. <laughs> okay, now here's the deal. The Bible does not show us anywhere in this passage where anyone said no. They all gave it up. They all did it, including Abraham. This was a very, very serious thing, and everybody got it. So I'm wondering, how did that shift happen? The, and when it comes to the um, servants and those kind of people, the foreigners that are, they did not force them. They did not force them. If they wanted to take part and become a part of this, this covenant, they could gladly do that. If they did not, they gave those, sold those people off or let them, released them and let them leave. No one was forced. No one is ever forced to accept Christ or to step into this walk. It was all done, what's the word? Voluntarily. Very interesting. It's also very interesting. How old was Ishmael then when he was circumcised? Thirteen. Do you know that the Arabs also participate in circumcision? It's very important to them. Do you know what year they do it in their boys? Thirteen. Yep. Sorry, buddy. That was three years ago for you. So, very interesting. Abram's two sons... It wasn't three years ago. <laughs> the eight-day thing worked real fine over there. Okay, it's just some interesting information, right? Okay. Moving on. Verse 15, God also said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you will no longer call her Sarai. Her name is Sarah. I will bless her, and I will surely give you a son by her. I will bless her so that she will be the mother of nations, king of peoples. So the word Sarai is princess. Sarah is princess of all. And now she's included. Abram fell face down again, and he laughed, and he said to himself, Will a son be born to a man a hundred years old? Will Sarah bear a child at the age of ninety? And Abram said to God, if only Ishmael could live under your blessing. Abram's laugh there was not a laugh out of sarcasm. That laugh was a laugh that we all chuckle when we see God move. How many of you give a good chuckle when you see God move? When he answers a, a prayer, when he does something for you, we, it gives you a chuckle. That's why Proverbs 31, at the very end, it says that, that godly, uh, virtuous woman, she laughs at her future. Why does she laugh at our future? At her future. Because she sees God woven through it so much, she just knows nothing's going to go wrong. It's going to be good. Let me just give that to a word for some woman in here that's worried about their future. With God in it, you can laugh. 
Verse 19, and then God said, yes, but your wife Sarah will bear you a son. And, uh, uh, okay, so will you bless Ishmael? Absolutely, God does bless Ishmael, and uh, so much so that uh, the two ancient, these two ancient people groups, the Jews and the Arabs, have stayed very solid in their, um, their lineage to this day. The Arab people are still a very strong culture. The Jewish people are still a very strong culture, and they're one of some of the only ones that lasted this long. Okay? Um, if only Ishmael might live under your blessing. Then God said, yes, but your wife will bear a son, and you will call him Isaac. Isaac means what? Laughter. Laughter. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant with his descendants. And as for Ishmael, I have heard you. I will surely bless him. I will make him fruitful and will greatly increase his numbers. He will be the father of 12 rulers and I will make him a great, into a great nation. But my covenant that I will establish will be with Isaac, whom Sarah will bear to you this time next year. When he had finished speaking with Abram, God went up from him. So let's talk a little bit more about Ishmael in the few remaining minutes here. So he has, uh, he's going to be a father of great nations. He's going to have 12 rulers. How many patriarchs come out of the Jewish side? 12. The 12 tribes of Israel. Lots of similarity between the Jews and the Arabs right now, okay? Are you starting to hear it? They call father, their father Abraham. Both of them call uh, Abraham their father and their father of faith. They both uh, exercise circumcision just at different times. They both had 12 uh, ruling patriarchs, and uh, then it keeps going. There's more here, but I can't, I don't have time. Very, very good. Um, uh, if you remember, flip back uh, when the angel is talking with Hagar and saying, now you are with child. Uh, flip back to chapter 16, verse 11. The angel of the Lord said to her, you are now with child. You will have a son. You shall name him Ishmael. For the Lord has heard your misery. He will be a wild donkey of a man. A hand, his hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand against him. He will live in hostility towards all of his brothers. That is a prophecy that we are still seeing today. How would you describe the Arab people just in general? I'm not trying to be racist, but I'm just saying, you know, different cultures have different feels and different personalities. What is the personality of the Arab people? They're very fiery. They're very, they're always fighting. There's always wars in the Middle East. Have you ever heard of the wars in the Middle East? Have you ever heard Middle East peace talks? They talk a lot about it, but it never happens, you know. <laughs> they're still fighting. They're, they're fighting and they're fighting. Did you know that 29% of this Bible is prophecy and every single one of them has come true and will come true? When God speaks, it happens. And we see this right now. So coming back to, to 18... But my, or 17, sorry. But my uh, covenant, verse 21, I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah will bear to you this time next year. When he had finished speaking with Abram, God went up from him. On that very day, Abram took his son Ishmael and all those born in the household or bought with his money and every male in the household and circumcised them. As he had told him, Abram was 99 years old when he was circumcised and his son Ishmael was 13. Abram and his son Ishmael were both circumcised on that day, and every male in Abram's household, including those born in his household or brought in from as a foreigner, was circumcised. God's inclusion of people outside of the, of the Abraham race right here is, is shown with the inclusion of other races being circumcised, and that's a, kind of a foreshadow of what things are right now. He is including all races 
if they chose. Okay, we got to be done. I can't wrap it up like I was planning on it. So now what we're left with right now, it's kind of like a to be continued until next week. I hope you'll come back. We've got Abram, now Abraham. Yeah, come on up, Jesse and Kaylee. And we've got two sons now. We've got Isaac and Ishmael. We finally have the promised son from Sarah, a free woman, his wife. And then we have a slave woman who had a son named Ishmael. We have Abram, Abraham now who loves both of those sons very much. So much so that when the angel of the Lord comes and says, you're going to get your promise this time next year, it's going to happen. Abram then intercedes for his son Ishmael. He loved him so much. Please, oh, that he would live under the same covenant. No, he's not going to live under the same covenant, but I will bless him. So now we have a servant with a son and a free woman with a son. Now, I wanted to show this to you, but I can't. Read the book of Galatians. Galatians is going to open up to you like crazy now that you understand. And the more we talk about this. Because when you read the book of Galatians, it talks about the son that comes from the bond servant, the bond woman. That's not who are, what we're under. We're not under this bondage of rules and regulations and laws that are going to come forth here pretty soon in this Bible. That the Jewish people begin to have to bear up under. It was all about the outer. They'd lost sight of the inner. But Jesus comes and he frees us from that. And he goes straight to our heart. And he gives us a heart of flesh instead of a heart of stone. He, he goes in there. He wants to own your heart. He wants to change your heart. That's what he's after. He's not after the do's and don'ts. But I'll tell you what, the do's and don'ts come so naturally outside of a heart stolen by the love of Jesus Christ. Our outward begins to just conform to who he is on the inward. Don't get me wrong. Your behavior is huge. If Abram and his household had not conformed to the desires of God to circumcise their flesh, we could not have gone forward in their covenant. So the outward is important. The taming of our flesh, the changing of our lives, the conforming to Christ is of vital importance. But is it, is it the most important? Heart first, then outer. It's both. It's both. So even today, in the movement, and you might not be aware of this or whatever, but there's great movements of, you know, changes and movements. And, and right now there's this huge movement of grace that's, that's popping up in the church that says, you know, it doesn't matter. I'm, it's all grace. I'm under grace. I'm grace. I can do anything I want because I'm under grace. I'm under grace. I'm under grace. It's all grace. It's all grace. It's all grace. And you know, it is all grace. You're absolutely right. It is all grace. But if grace doesn't have an effect on your lives, then it is of absolute no use. Grace works in my life and I'm so humbled I fall flat on my face, nose to the dirt and said, 
Whatever you want me to do, I will change and conform. Amen? Inner, outer, both the same. But if I ever start valuing an outer posture, a look that's not met with an inner heart circumcision, then I become prideful. I become something that's awful. Amen? So we are Christians all the way through. Amen? Let's all stand. Father, in Jesus' name, Lord God, I just ask you right now to take our hearts. Take our hearts right now and move in. Nothing else besides you in Jesus' name. Nothing else, no other cravings, no other longings in Jesus' name. We take it right now and we cut the flesh off of our heart right now and we say that you are number one in it. And we fall spiritually on our faces, nose to the ground, and we say there's nothing left of me in Jesus' name. And you own it all. You take it all, all the way into my heart in Jesus' name. I will reserve absolutely nothing from you, O Father. God, I thank you right now that you are exposing our hearts to us right now. For your word says that who can know the heart of a man, oh, Father God, or of a, of a woman, Lord? I ask you right now that you would begin to show us what are some things in our hearts, Lord God, that are reserved, that are holding back, that are impure, oh, Father God. And I just ask you right now that there would be a purification and a movement of your Holy Spirit into every nook and cranny of every one of our hearts in Jesus' name. And God, I just ask you right now, right now, right now, just yield the rest of your life up to him. Whatever he's telling you that is not right, yield it to him right now. Just let the conformity of Christ rise up from that heart that is so 100% owned by Christ and let it just seep and ooze out into your, your speech and into your action and into your heart and the way you think and the way you you take care of trouble or the way that you take care of disappointment or the way that you deal with that difficult person. Let Jesus Christ ooze out of you that you would be conformed to him in Jesus' name. Father God, that we would walk blamelessly before you, giving it all our best.